This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be discussing art and film, focusing on Denis Villeneuve's epic film, Dune based, of course, on the book of the same name. To hash it out, I am, of course, joined by one of our executive contributors. That's right. The slayer of sandworms himself, the King Prince of House Buck, and my messiah. That's Mr. Theodore the Buck. Welcome, Buck. Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping you would call me the Kwisatz Haderach, but that's okay. <laughs> I said messiah. I will take it. I will take it, but... Yeah, let's uh, talk about something. Are you I excited think... today? I think we're both feeling the, I, feeling the energy. I will say this. there, you, you, As you get older, there's fewer things in your life that really make you as excited to watch like film, like where you get really excited. Hell yeah. I think one of the last ones we saw where you called me right after you saw it was Arrival. Um, Done by the same guy. Same guy. No less. Yeah. Said... No, you will love this. You, you know how I like sci-fi. And uh, I, I I will say this is the... F I got the same feeling. And it's not necessarily Star Wars feeling. Yeah. That's a little different for me. And this is going to sound like a weird analogy. It was watching movies like uh, Aliens for the first time. Terminator 2. This like whole like world-building aspect. Even though I've read the books. Um I, I I got sucked up into it. There's a few things I have problems with, but we can get into that. Yeah, the thesis is simple. Uh, we finally have that adaptation that is worthy of its subject matter, worthy of this incredible scope and vision, and just carefully crafted with artistry, yeah. thoughtfulness, and most important, most importantly, faithfulness. So the version of Dune we essentially have always wanted. Now, before we hash it out, of course, we need a little background 
Originally drafted as a novel in 1965 by famed science fiction writer Frank Herbert, uh, this has become a cult classic, and there has been a lot of different studios, art houses that have wanted to adapt it to film. Uh, most famously and unsuccessfully is probably Alejandro's Jodorowsky's Dune that never actually came to fruition. And we finally, it was finally realized as film in 1984 by David Lynch, but of course to also famously to much less critical acclaim, uh, due in part to the limited capacities of special effects at the time, as well as uh, famously being played by a lot, a lot of other issues. And uh, for a long time, the, the novel was considered unfilmable, you know, because yeah. of the scope, uh, because of the incredibly, in- incredibly vast plot that uh, Frank Herbert designed in the Dune universe. And then after that was, of course, in uh, development hell for a long time after that. Uh, for a film adaptation until now, which brings us up to uh, 2021. Originally scheduled to be released on actually November 20th, 2020. Uh, it, of course, got pushed back to December 18th, 2020. And then because of our favorite pandemic, COVID-19, it was pushed again to October 2021 for local markets. Now, international markets actually had the pleasure of getting this about a month ago. I, th- I think yep. it was released in Venice September 3rd, 2021 and has been seen in uh, a variety of international markets since then, but we actually didn't get it here in the states until October 21st, 2021. It was adapted by John Spates, Eric Roth, and of course, Denis Villeneuve himself who directed the film. The film stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. Now, what's uh, great, (laughs) I wanted to talk about, this is where me and Buck are sometimes on the same wavelength before we actually hash it out in the discussion section. We actually accidentally, and we did not plan this, we saw it at the exact same time. Uh, as soon as, um, actually Buck texted me, uh, his thoughts right away. And I was literally like walking out of the theater. Uh, he saw it at home. I saw it in IMAX and, uh, let's just start with first impressions. I'm going to give you the floor Buck and just, uh, tell me how you felt, man. Yeah. It's one of those things that I, I I wish I would have saw in IMAX first, but I, you know, Novo, um, I, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for a lot of things. I, I tried I tried getting like a matinee IMAX at 3.30 that afternoon, but I had a meeting that ran late. Yeah. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to make myself a nice dinner. <laughs> I'm oh, going to yeah. put the tea. I'm going to put the, oh, the yeah. chair right in front of the. Oh, make it sexy. Of the 65 inch. You can give it to and me. And I'm going to wear headphones. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the room with you. Immerse. I'm going to fully immerse. I'm in the room with you. And from the start. I, I got chills. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack, uh, the visualizations, I, 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 and I was really worried I'm, I was going to overhype it. Um, but it came out to be something beautiful. A lot of people say it's, I've heard some negative reviews that people say it's boring. Um, that we'll get into that. Yeah. But I would say visually and, um, it was everything that I asked for. Like I had never, besides, um, we see briefly, and it's not very much in um, 1984, um, uh, David Lynch's Dune. Mm. We don't really see Kaladin, what it looks like. And in my mind, and, and kind of merging it with what I saw on screen was was pretty cool. It, it, 
to the people I, that don't know what that is, uh, explain sorry. yeah, explain in a little detail what that is. So Kaladin is the planet where uh, the, the Duke uh, Leo Trades. That's his uh, so Trades family. His yeah, the, right. the Trades family. That's that's their their planet basically. Their ocean ocean planet. It's an ocean planet. Um, in the in the um in the book, I I thought you know I I saw it more as like a big ocean thing. This one it it seemed more like um Pacific Northwest mm. islands, kind of on the ocean, kind of a a misty kind of um yeah that kind of cloudy kind of climate. It was very atmospheric. It actually worked for me. Um, and then seeing the ships because they don't have a lot of land, they actually, the ships are underwater mm-hmm. um, and they pop up. I thought that was a cool uh, uh, thing to see. Sorry. I'm getting, I'm really nerding out about this because <laughs> I was just like, you know, when you're a kid and you're watching well, this yeah, stuff, save it, save some for later, but yeah. Give yeah. It to us. Yeah. So you're seeing some of this stuff for the first time. It's like, you know your your imagination just starts running wild when you see this and that's my that's my wife said it best like she she's read all the books and mm-hmm. she had an idea of what these worlds looked like in her head but Same for someone here, yeah. else to really bring it to the forefront give you a clear visual of what this world could look like and could be it was uh the scope alone was incredible so my yeah. my first impression was i it was a little slow to start. The first act played to me like a, honestly, like a play. I, yeah. I felt like there were so many scenes that, and with IMAX, the fidelity of the screen versus the audio, I thought I was kind of in a room with them in a weird mm-hmm. way. And I thought it was, uh, well, essentially a stage, you know, and a theater and a play being being acted out. And for a long time, I was, I was, trying to figure out where I wanted to submit myself, you know, when you really immerse yourself into the subject matter and you fall into the world, right? We all do that as, uh, as audience members, viewers. And for a long time, I didn't know how this movie was going to play out. And I was originally going to submit myself to it kind of being this slow burn. I I thought Mm -hmm. a lot of the shots were, had a lot of Eastern, direction style influences where it would be you know we saw that we've seen this in a lot of japanese type of films where it would it would just be like a still image i mean well it would be like a moving image but it would it would hang on an image Mm -hmm. for a minute or two which in our culture and modern contemporary form of filmmaking that's kind of unheard of anymore so i almost felt like every scene when it was when it would hold it was like a painting right oh yeah and i Obviously, the world didn't really open up to me until there was that scene with Paul and he was in his bedroom and that small assassin uh, type of device that was floating in the room and he caught it. And then right after that scene, I was in. I was in. And of course, in the second act, it turned into this roller coaster ride. It was it was essentially like an, an action film after after a lot of that world building introduction and very happy to see very little exposition and monologues and inner monologues. Right. Mm-hmm. And by the end, I couldn't wait to see it again. 
So yeah. uh, let's start where well, we always start with something like this. We got to start start with the writing, the source material versus the adaptation, and then of course character development. So the story, what a lot of people know, I want to probably start with this, and Buck knows this. I'm going to lean on him because he has read the books. I have not, but I have researched enough, and I've obviously seen the movies, including the 1984 version by David Lynch. Um, Doctor, is it Doctor Keynes? Kinds? How do you pronounce that? I think it's Kynes, yeah. Dr. Kynes, originally in the story and in the 1984 version, was a male character, and it was readapted to be the uh, African-American or black uh, female character that we see in yeah. the movie. And I thought that was handled very well. I was very happy yeah. with her character development arc, when she showed up, everything like that. And like I said, for a long time, the writing to me was very uh, traditional theater playhouse type of dialogue it wasn't it didn't it didn't really have that volume of this epic film adaptation until in the second act and then when i but after falling into that world i was there wouldn't you agree like eventually the writing was uh transcendental in a lot of ways yeah and this is where i come to a little bit of kind of what i i wish we saw a little bit more but i i wonder if he's holding it off until part two um, the, and talk about that, that's important to talk about uh, Lynch's version was one, the entire book in one movie. And yeah. this was, this was divided into two parts, two parts. Um, ideally I would have wished that it was a series on TV. Uh, like a 10 part series. Thing. Like we could, yeah. we could have seen that. Because I feel like as a film, we got enough character development that we never mm -hmm. saw in the previous adaptations that I felt it, satisfied at least so. Yeah, in, in Lynch's version, um, I mean, I know it's it has a lot of it has a lot of issues. I still think it's a lot very of fun. Issues. Oh, yeah, it's um, fun, you know. But uh, but it's, cramming it's definitely so fun. much Jesus. material and, and, exactly. and Lynch made some interesting made some choices. Really questionable, yeah, interesting artistic additions. choices. Yeah and choices um i think you know one thing i i in why i say I, I wish it was a 10 part series is is i wish i thought we were going to get a little bit more world building um not that there wasn't world building in it but dune is a very deep and specific book especially to the universe that it it, it has and they did a little and i'm not saying they didn't do a lot because they did, but I thought we were going to get a little bit more of that. Um, I, I was hoping to see a little bit more of how he handled the spacing guild. We only saw them for one or the space guild. We only saw them really for one scene. Um, I would have loved to see, you know, and again, explain what the space guild is. Okay. We, yeah, gotta, so we have to talk about it. Like people have no idea what do. Okay. Is. Well, this is how in, in a, I was in a hot tub late last <laughs> night um Ooh, how'd it go uh yeah i was fine um <laughs> but i i had to explain dune and i and and a lady asked me to explain it and i said how long do you have <laughs> and she said could you put it into under 10 minutes and i said I'll so try. in one sp sentence explain what the space guild is so the space guild basically is the what is a organization that allows um, deep space travel. So mm -hmm. interdimensional deep space travel. Um, basically, why uh, Dune, the planet Dune, Arrakis, is so 
important is it holds the spice and the spice is a hallucinogenic substance that humans can take. It has a whole bunch of medicinal purposes, but one of the purposes is over time when people take this a lot, Mm -hmm. they develop the ability to fold space and time. Mm -hmm. And these guys, just like us. Yeah. They need to ingest. Yeah. (laughs) We do this in our spare time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's so important because it allows for this, uh, folding of space and time to do long distance travel across the universe. So, and it's very expensive. And so in the book, um, I don't, I think they do say this line in the movie, but who controls the spice controls the universe. Um, in this in this uh, series, and we're not gonna we're not going to hash out the entire plot. We're gonna assume no. you guys already have seen the movie or know of the story well enough. I would I'm gonna play devil's advocate as we often do between me and Buck and say that I think they did an excellent job because that yes, there is so much information, there is so much world building that is established in the books. We have to remember that a lot. A lot of the viewers, a lot of the people going to see this movie have no idea what Dune's about, the world, nothing. So they have to present the material in a way to bring them up to speed, do enough world building. And I think they did. I think they did that. I think they accomplished accomplished that. And I I did have to ask my wife some things. The biggest one being... Mm -hmm. Especially in the when I compared the 1984 version to this version, we didn't see a lot of what she described as body horror that is in the book. That when yep. these uh, essentially these pilots that take enough of the spice, they're they're transformed into these creatures. Yep. That That's what creates, I yeah. yeah, create a lot of body horror and things like that. And we saw this <laughs> this great puppet, Jesus Christ, in, <laughs> in David Lynch's version, oh. and it I mean, it's nightmare fuel, guys. It's, <laughs> it's, it's nightmare fuel, but it it fits the world so well. Yes, like in, in yes. his adaptation, in, in his in his eyes of what this creature would look like, right? Yeah, and, and um, the only uh, I didn't even realize this till I was talking to my wife about it when we were nerding out over after we saw the movie is. That thing that kind of looked like a spider was one of them. Was like this version, yeah. or this not literally a pilot, but the uh, the body horror that is that is deep in the in the novel. Uh, yeah, but we didn't see it uh, in this because uh, going back to talking about the writing and the characters, um, this was a story about a uh, to me uh, it was a family story. A, a lot yeah. of it was about um, a mother and her son, and I'm glad they they focused on that and didn't didn't actually bring too much in because buck being the the connoisseur the, the the true blue expert of the two of us with this particular subject me being more of a lay person here i liked that they focused on that and didn't go too deep they gave us enough of the building blocks to really get invested uh and and i was there and and that's why i didn't know if it was going to play out like a like a play that's why i didn't know where it was yeah. going to happen well, and uh the whole film to me um you know, don't forget, and I'll, I'll touch on this a lot, is still very much an art house film. Oh, yeah. He made. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's and. it's a digital art house film. Right. If you think about it. And, and sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. No, I, no, no, I no, think, no. Go. I think, um, and that's why I said, I, I wonder what he's going to do in, in the second. In the second. Yeah. One. It, it, okay. I'm going to use a very overused analogy on this show, and I use it all the time. <laughs> Can I guess? Let like, me guess. Let, let me guess. Is it Radiohead? No, no. Oh, is that, what? It's, oh, it, this I, is a film thing. Oh, it's a you know, film my 
film one. Okay, yeah. go, go. So, so I, I see it a lot like Star Wars. So the first Star Wars, no Star Wars film no, you no. see, it's it's a space opera adventure. You get a little. It's a soap bit. opera. It's a family soap opera. Yeah, Let's it's a family honest. soap opera. But you get a little. You get a little taste of oh, the Force. What's that? The oh, mat. The, the magic, Jedi. essentially. The magic. The space of magic. It. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's what they're going to do. And the second one is we've given you already this. This you're invested into the storyline. Now we see like more of the really what the Benny Gesserit do and what they are. And let's talk about that because to me yeah. they're. They're, space they're the witches. most interesting part, in my opinion. Yeah, they're space witches to me. And I think uh, Denis Villeneuve called them like space nuns. And I was like, nah, That's they're more I've space always witches. kind of view them as. Yeah, space is nuns? That, yeah, and I think, and I, I could be getting this wrong. I want to say like it's okay. a lot of the religions or something are associated with religions that we have currently. And, and, Absol- and the time, oh, God, this yes. is like 10,000 years in the future, but they are like descendants of our religion religious practices oh, that we have now. Defin- definitely an allegory yeah for what we and have so today. It, it's definitely uh that's the catholic church is basically um what it's kind of an ag- it, it, it's it? kind of okay i think i think it is if well, I there's a lot correctly. of i mean we can uh i i didn't think we'd spend so much time on the writing but that's good i'm, I'm glad we're, we're we're spending a lot of time on the story the Yes, the um, those specific characters bring a lot of religiosity to the story, yeah. and there it, it it really does ooze a lot of spirituality, religiosity, uh, yeah. and of course, you know, because Paul is is famously a messiah type of character, and we see a mes- that a planned and- messiah. Plan messiah, right? There's crossbreeding, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you'll have to look that up for yourself, but it's fascinating that. It's not only an allegory for that stuff, but also about superpowers. And, you know, the spice to me is like oil, right? Yeah, that's basically what it's supposed to be. And Dune, Arrakis is like the Middle East or something, right? Yeah. And we're seeing this allegory, these uh, social commentaries about about all of that. And and what's what's more fun in a purely fictional sense is when... You know, there's double crossing and there's there's House Atreides against House mm-hmm. or, or House Harkonnen against House Atreides and the Emperor pulling strings and yada yada. Well, that's um, where the politics comes in. Right. The politics. The, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of, of politics. And yeah, it oozes politics as yeah. well in a fascinating way. Because because the 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 main plot and it is it is kind of a brilliant, you know, and and they don't. So in Lynch's version and I, I, I'm taking a step back a little bit here because we were talking about world building and things like that. When Lynch kind of had his divide and kind of left the project when the studio took over the editing and things like that for the theatrical release, mm-hmm. they purposely had that segment at the beginning of the movie that they added at the last minute, basically to explain the world. So if you remember, it's the emperor's daughter. She's, Explaining the different houses, the different right. uh, yeah. organizations, the strength, the, the extreme She's trying to give this like this exposition because they were like nobody's going to understand anything going on, and that's what I was kind of glad they didn't do in this one. Oh my god, yes. Um, but going back to the politics part, um, they that's the one thing about Lynch's Dune is that they have to spell everything out. Yeah. Um, and exactly They're why the emperor is doing what he's doing. And I, right. I was kind of cool that I actually was okay with them not showing the emperor, or, uh, yeah. the emperor at the beginning. 
uh, in this in this version. But basically, his whole idea is the Harkonnens are getting too rich. Okay, yep. so let's take them away from the spice production. Uh, the Atreides they're becoming too powerful amongst the other houses. They're becoming more popular than me. Let's pit them together. Let's weaken both houses so that they don't become a threat to me in the future. Right. Um, that's that, actually that's very a political well aspect of that's, it. That's actually a hard plot set of devices to explain in a sentence or two. Because I yeah. tried to, I, th- I tried to th- think about how to how to really put it. My wife tried to explain it to me, and I was like, my eyes were glazing over with the political <laughs> uh, complications. Yeah, he's just, he's just trying to like, put Jesus Christ two houses that that already. So it's like. You you could say like a country or a, a, sure. a, a very powerful country pitting. We see to, this today, essentially. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah exactly. We and and if you think about when this book was written, yeah, a lot of this was going on uh, all over the world. It was going on in South America, Southeast Asia, where you had superpowers that were pitting two other you know smaller lesser countries against each other to push mm-hmm. an agenda or weaken them as a power. Sure. So, um. That's exactly what this is. So, so that's why I'm saying, and and maybe I'm not. So read the sense, books, right? Are, I, I feel well, like we all need to read the books. If you point. love the movies, read the books because you get all this backstory. And if you're really interested in stuff like this, I mean, I I, I always equate this book really molding and forming a lot of the way I, I see the world, which is a and, good and sometimes scary thing, especially when we get <laughs> to part two. And we're not going to talk about what happens later in the book in this part one, because, two, right? Um, I don't want to spoil it really for um, Novo, but I'm really excited oh, to see what I, they do. I already know. I mean, I've done my homework. I well, yeah, you've seen happens. the Lynch movie. And, and but, I've seen the Lynch but movie. But the Lynch movie portrays Paul very differently than what he's yeah. supposed to be portrayed as. Right. And in this one, a little bit, I was... They they gave a little hint in a in a flat in like a memory uh, a scene like a memory um, mm-hmm. or not a memory but like a a foresight scene. Like yeah, you could see the future because he has visions. He has visions, that. and I yeah, I got really excited about that because he, you know, he saw what he he'll become, and um, I was like, oh, okay, so maybe we are handling this the way that the book portrays him as, and that's about as much as I can tiptoe around the subject. Oh <laughs> uh, well, and before we move on to the visuals, to the oh the yeah, true we talk art, about the art, yeah, the true yeah. art of the film. I do want to say that uh, in the vein of what Buck was saying in terms of uh, it shaping a lot of his um, perspective, if you will, we need to also give a lot of credit to Frank Herbert being a first in a lot of literary senses. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is where the sandworm comes from. We've seen sandworms in fucking everything. Video game um beetlejuice i always think of that tremors tremors right we see it everywhere uh since dune uh as well as um the the house you know the use of these family uh political dynamics and intrigue just like game of thrones there's there's these house houses set of families that are pitted against each other and we're we're, we're fascinated by who's going to win who's going to come out on top and we forget that dune was really the first to really do this so i just wanted to give a lot of credit where's credit where credit's due it definitely influenced the second it, it, or it is still today but the second part of the 20th century was sci-fi you did see i i would almost attribute it a lot of people attribute it to it was kind of another boom of sci-fi yeah. especially earlier sci-fi novels not all of them 
It's like but aliens coming were, to Earth. You know, they're very yeah. simple. You know, it and wasn't this, this one, huge epic. This one, yeah, it wasn't a huge epic. And this one, the the humans have turned into the aliens. So, um, yeah. and they got rid of AI. You know, a- AI is outlawed because that's, they've that's already. Thing. He was smart enough to know that, <laughs> and we've seen a million movies about this, right? Where AI yeah. gets too powerful and tries to destroy the human race, and that actually happens in the lore, right? And yeah, it happens they, in the lore. And so they they outlaw it. They're like, no more AI. Or they, they kind of have a version of it. And we see that in the movies when people's eyes roll back in their head. I'll let you, yeah, <laughs> everyone listening, the, I'll, the let you, yeah, yeah. I'll let you uh, figure out what is actually going on there with your own research or if you read the book. Uh, but um, yeah, a lot of this that, uh, world build, he was, he was one of the first to really bring it to a, yeah. to a, new, to a new limelight. And I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but the, that was one thing that I was a little disappointed in um, was they didn't show you. You got that one scene where it showed what the Mintats are, but they didn't really explain who they and, were. Or... Uh, and honestly, remember, uh, I talk about this a lot in our yeah. other shows. A, a film in TV and et cetera is a visual art. Remember, yeah. it's, a, it's a visual medium. We really, again, try to really, really put your, your yourself in the shoes of someone that has no idea of this world. And it, it makes sense. You know, you knew immediately that these people were human, but not human. They were some sort of superior element of a human. That's all you really needed to know. And the fact that he would just in a few way what seemed like throwaway lines, it established the fact that they knew a lot more than what the Duke knew. Right when he well, they're, they're his, basically his... human supercomputers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's the best way to sum it up in one sentence: is that they're they're superhuman. Yeah, they're superhuman computers. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think uh, I feel like if we don't move on, we're going to be talking about this for the rest of the hour. So let's talk about the visuals, and we can use that as a stepping stone. There is the visuals are incredible. Oh my god! Like I yeah. said, it's like a painting within every scene the the uses of uh let's just talk about palette first the use of earth tones blacks whites mm-hmm. browns grays neutrals um really bring the characters to the forefront uh but when we actually have time to just just look at it, it, it it's it's breathtaking the cgi the character or the uh, creature designs versus the uh, ship designs versus the landscape designs. I even when they're I'm going to pass it over to you in a minute book, but even (laughs) on this note, even when they're going over the city of Arrakis, you know, that little like, well, not really a city, um, but talking uh, about the, the the main um, like headquarters area where like, Oh, Arakeen. Yeah. The, the Atreides actually end up living for a while. Yeah. It looked like a miniature to me. I wonder if I, they did practical effects versus uh, traditional CGI. Funny you bring that up. I thought the same thing. I, I like, go, this looks, if, this looks like a miniature. Oh my I God. go, it's either a miniature or they did a, like it. And maybe that's how good it was. I mean, and that you might sound tell, silly. Right. But, you know, there's been miniatures and matte paintings that I have seen. And especially in a lot of um, older sci-fi movies. That looks so realistic. You couldn't. You could hardly. The first tell. thing that popped in my head was the thing. John Carpenter's the thing. Oh, okay. He used a lot of matte paintings, and I was. I remember seeing special features on that and being like, "Fuck me, that was that was a matte matte painting the whole time." You know. Yeah, there's been a couple of movies where I've seen where I I had no idea that they were standing in front of a large matte painting or or something like that, and and been pretty impressed. But I I agree. It it. it 
and and that's the one thing that's really well described in um and what we've seen in the past and and um visualizations from the novel and then um also in lynch's dune Mm -hmm. i i think it was a much smaller scale in lynch's dune because it was definitely a miniature um and there was it was limited by uh, not not only budget but the technology of its time yeah and this actually looked exactly what i thought it would look like exactly but yeah but i can't i don't know i'm really excited to see if if they did miniatures Oh my god, I, th- that makes me so excited! I love stuff like that. Like uh, a very oh, I famous, love practical. Oh yeah, yeah. A very famous miniature practical effect was uh, Minas Tirith in um, the Lord of the Rings uh, Peter Jackson trilogy. Mm. Okay, that was a miniature. Yeah, that they that they they put CGI elements into it. So it probably was a mixture of both. I'm actually glad you brought up the Lord of the Rings because I was thinking of how this movie was broken up. Uh, or I thought of the Lord of the Rings as soon as I saw how the movie uh, ended and it was planned to be broken up because I think a lot of people are so used to, you know, we talked about this in other episodes, like we call, I call it uh, <laughs> neurological erosion. Like people yeah. don't have attention spans anymore. And I remember feeling that way with the first Lord of the Rings movie where it just kind of like ended, right? You know, there was really no uh, full closure. a lot of walking. There's a lot of walking and there was no like full closure to the very first one. Uh, Even though I felt like this one had enough closure, I was, I'd be satisfied if for some reason it didn't make enough money and they didn't green light a a part two, but it looks like I actually checked the numbers before we went live um, to, to record this. And uh, we're looking fucking good. I think we're going to get a part two for the current times. I think it's looking good. I think when you throw in, uh, you know, Timmy C and Zendaya, <laughs> uh, the teen heartthrobs, even though they're in their 20s. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got a lot of girls I want to go see, Timmy. Uh, that Timothy Chalamet. I I'm, I was there for Rebecca Ferguson. She's. Oh, she's, I, yeah. She's. I'm a she's big great. fan of her. She's. It's she's also weird easy to on see. The eyes. Um, oh, I'm blanking out on his name. The Duke Leo Atreides. Um, oh, uh, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac portrayal. Well, he's I I I'm I'm very confident in my masculinity. That's a handsome man. Oh that, yeah, he's a very I, handsome I, man. I, I, he, he's a beefcake. He's a, yeah. he's crazy hot. Yeah, yeah. No, I I actually you know I get <laughs> so if we can talk about casting just for one. Yeah, second. well, yeah, we can do casting um, because we can actually tie that into visuals. I felt like this yeah. movie, like when I saw like the Harkonnens, everyone had a distinct look. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. exactly yeah. like like they used Dave P- Batista, um, and he was perfect as a nephew. Still in Skarsgård, yeah. Well, uh, one of them. They they don't yeah. have they don't have Sting. They don't the have guy Sting. that was Sting in nineteen. The guy that was Sting, which he <laughs> didn't my show favorite. up for later in the book. He's my so, favorite guy. so he might he might not be in I, part if two. If I remember correctly, he might be in part two. Okay, but uh, a lot of the stuff that I love, I. I get a little nervous when you get a lot of A-list actors in a film. No, this I felt like this was well casted, and it was this really was... well casted. Um, and everyone, yeah, just to bring it to the, the to the visual round circle, is everyone had this very distinct look. They all had their palette, uh, their color palettes. Yeah. Their Harkonnens did look menacing. Like I was, yeah. I, if I saw something like that in real life, I'd be like, Jesus fucking Christ, run. Right. Yeah, in the book they are very industrial, very uh, brutal. Um, yeah. They metal. Yeah, metal. <laughs> yeah, think of metal, uh, oil, sludge. Um, I was thinking of metal music. You know, when people oh, just metal. Say, oh yeah, so industrial. Metal. <laughs> industrial. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Nine Inch Nails, like yeah, like hardcore, like early days stuff. Um, and then the Atreides down. looked, you know, th- there was these noblemen. They, they their color palette was very strong and noble and confident. Yeah. And then the uh, the Fremen. Uh, God, I just I loved I just loved not only the characters, the casting, the ensemble, but the very very clear, meticulous choices with color look special effects makeup just to give it a clear distinction and um gosh i there's not much more to say there i i don't know yeah no and in the the casting choices i I was a little i was a little um nervous with timmy at first well yeah i i think actually no i was actually okay i believe it or not i was okay with him and zendaya as chani Okay. I thought, okay. you know what? That actually makes sense. Um, the one I was the most worried about was uh, Duncan Idaho. Uh, oh, Jason yeah. Momoa. He gets a lot of. He gets a. Uh, he does not get the best love in the acting department. No, right? but I thought he did. I thought a he was fine. Job. Yeah, I think I thought he was really good. Most people uh, remember he was um, Cal Drogo in uh, yeah. Game of Thrones, and people were like, He's "Yeah, Aquaman. he needs to be." He needs to be that character where he doesn't have a ton of lines, but I really felt like he was. Uh, I think he stepped up his game. Yeah, he stepped up his game. You know, he 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 went back to he went back to class. He went back to hooking up with his teaching coach or whoever yeah, helps those kind of guys. He he's a badass, yeah. but he's not like he's very likable. Like and, yeah, he's he's a lovable character. And, and my wife said this. He's like you know he's he was much more serious in the books, and you yeah. know here he has like comedic lines, and he was he was written to be very very likable, right? We want yeah. to root for Duncan Idaho. Yeah, and uh, and I I think he I think it came across. I think he pulled it off nicely. So. Yeah, and I loved uh, I loved Gurney. Um, I thought it was yeah. a great casting choice. Brolin is uh, James Brolin as he kind of always plays that guy a little bit. But he yeah. always brings it, right? He's good at playing the the gruff, tough, but cool guy. Yeah, you know he's going to be in a lot of westerns as he gets older. I, f- I have a feeling. Oh my god, uh, he, he was he was been. he was in True Grit. He was he's already been in westerns. Like yeah, but I I, I feel like he's like taking on like definitely be the uh, next um oh <laughs> what what's his face uh, from the thing actually oh um, uh, Kurt Russell Kurt Russell yeah yeah. So. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's, let's move it on to cinematography while we're talking about the artistic choices in this. And, um, gosh, I, I don't think I have to gush too much, uh, or again, we'll be here the entire show just talking about one thing. It was excellent. It was, yeah. it was, it was, it was close to perfect. It was, uh, I, I feel like if I were to give it any kind of, um, and this is nitpicking, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it was lit a little dark in my opinion, uh, most of the movie, but, mm. um, I, but I was okay with it. A lot of the scenes called for that. It was just in the IMAX theaters. It was even hard to see a little bit of what was going on even then, but overall everything like, like Buck said, if this has to be the closest thing to what is in most people's minds when they read the book. Yeah, I, I actually, it, it's different cause I watched it on at home. So I, I thought I didn't get that dark, but yeah, because you can dark, you but... can control it, right? You can control the brightness or whatever, you know. On well, yeah, and I I have meticulously 
upset. <laughs> I, I believe you know. Get out of here. Uh, I've set my. Uh, I I have a, a device that I put on my screen. I, I, I he's got his yeah. shit dialed in, folks. So, but I would I I could imagine it always is a little bit darker in the theater, just because yeah. projectors are a little bit. So I could see that. There was a famous movie not too long ago that had like, I think it was one of the the Zack Snyder that was, films. I was that was lit way way too dark. Yeah, like uh, um, I, I, I haven't seen a Red Snyder Letter film Media. since Jesus. I haven't seen a Snyder film since. Oh my god! No, no, no! I did see a recent one. I, I think, saw Army of uh, Army of the Dead or whatever it was called. Yeah, on Netflix. I think it was a Zack Snyder film, but I don't know what Red Letter Media when they were uh, reviewing it said that Jay kept he kept turning behind to make sure that the projector was still working because <laughs> it was so dark like is something broken uh, right yeah. something like that so um no i didn't get that i but i agree with you on the cinematography i mean the shots were beautiful they they yeah. were thematic uh my favorite one was them actually uh arriving to arrakis where they just kind of show their faces and the light kind of hitting it and and we saw those miniatures them. yeah uh well when you're seeing them kind of, they can you can tell right away they feel the heat the brightness of the planet yeah um it was just kind of a very beautiful shot a lot of subtle um, stuff like that was kind of yeah in through the whole movie and we'll talk about that with editing uh because i feel like use of the voice that's the magic like that the filmmaking yeah. is 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 editing is editing absolutely before we get into editing though let's talk about more of the the visual the eye candy and we'll talk about special effects uh special effects again were fucking close to perfect i mean they, they were perfect uh, I, I was gonna say they're the best i've seen and i, I know I, you say that like every year but it's getting well, harder it's getting harder in terms to, of scope and and again yeah. uh, size there that's why i keep referencing that these scenes look like paintings because their use of scope where they would actually put the yeah. cameras just just i mean we haven't talked about the sandworms <laughs> the entire fucking show the sandworms alone that level of scope when they showed the two people on like the docking bay thing and then the, uh -huh. the sandworm in the background you you felt it you felt yeah you could you could feel how big it, it was or right. how big they get yeah yeah and yeah. that is all through the special effects team that just ah, uh, my my heart goes out to them. Uh, yeah, long nights, but you guys did a great job. Jesus Christ! Okay. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to give a shout out to all the GPUs that rendered all of it. <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not, you're not. That's wasting right, folks. We're it giving on, a... on Bitcoin mining, and no. that's right. We're giving a shout out to the computers themselves. <laughs> Let's give a shout out to Nvidia. <laughs> Nvidia, thank you. For making great visuals, not, or uh, AMD, we don't. Not know. a sponsor, but uh, we uh, we we would appreciate a phone call. You Nvidia, know, our... <laughs> work better with Linux, okay? Your proprietary uh, drivers. That was a deep cut. Uh, that's a real deep cut. Now that's what the show's all about. Uh, and speaking of cuts, oh, you're gonna like this segue. Let's talk about editing. Um, Ooh, yeah. I actually uh, saw uh, me and my wife were nerding out on uh, you know the behind the scene type of special featurettes that we see like on YouTube now and stuff like that. And that if you actually still buy physical media, you know, they always have that extra DVD just for special effects. And do, we, do we fucking love that here at NDP? We eat it up. And um, they talked about probably the most famous scene in the books in both movies is um, Paul with the, um, the head, um, <laughs> the head space, witch, and the box. Uh, oh and, yeah. 
the uh, where he puts his hand yeah. into the box and there's again we don't know exactly what happens it's space magic he feels an extreme pain and uh what beckons him into that scene is the voice which is essentially like a mind control type of magic jedi mind trick basically yeah and uh the editing there is superb um and also through the whole movie because remember there's so many god damn f- uh visions um yeah. there's so many dream than, sequences and yeah, they, and really they're cutting in and out of them but, all the whole yeah. movie the whole movie yeah. is like you you're introduced with Zendaya's character, but you don't actually see her till the very end. And in, in, in terms of the story arc. And that is a difference from the book. You you do not see her hear anything about her through about till about halfway through the book. And this is why it's a visual medium. We yeah. we I think as a again, putting my shoes into those people that have never even heard of Dune that is being dragged by their boyfriend or girlfriend, and they're mm-hmm. like, Oh, do we have to see this shit? You're gonna buy me popcorn, right? Is is those people that like kind of need that? Like they need to be introduced to essentially his 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 love interest. Yeah, yeah. And it's Zendaya. She's like one of the hottest things. She's kind of like, the it girl right, right now. now. Yeah, she's like the it girl. She's MJ and uh, Spider Man. Spider Man. Um, yep. She has, she's won Emmys for her performance in Euphoria, which she's awesome in. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Deep she's cuts. she's a. She She's is the yeah. it girl. That is that yeah. is a good term. I'll and, say it girl. And Timothy is is the it is the it guy. Is the it boy? Yeah, he's in everything. Right, I think he's in two movies that are coming out. Oh, he's in the new uh, uh, Anderson film. Uh, the I think the thing, French the Dispatch. last thing I thought I saw that he was going to be in, and that had like all us, um, <laughs> everyone screaming uh, for anticipation. Is he's the new Willy Wonka? In the prequel, there's like a prequel oh, Willy Wonka, and he up. is Willy Wonka. Yeah, he's young Willy Wonka. You didn't know that? Oh, I didn't. No. I didn't know this. We're usually pretty good about researching or nerding out on a lot of other things uh, before we do our shows. So that uh, man, you're hearing God, it first. Uh, uh, Book is we, hearing about this for the first time. Original. Can we? Can we? Please, dude, just look at the screenshot. Just Google I it need, later. No, you're gonna be like, I ah, I see it. No, when you when you see him in the outfit. Right, hold on, hold on. Let me go. When when you see him in the Willow Willow, I'm looking at Willy Wonka outfit. You'll be like, ah, god damn it, I see it. (sighs) Let me look. Okay, well, well, Buck is doing that. Everybody, I want you to be patient with me and listen to me type into the computer. (laughs) Well, Buck is doing that. We don't need any dead air. I want to talk about the the music. The best for oh. last. The music is I uh, again. This is Hans Zimmer. I, I would arguably state. I will stand behind this statement that he is a living genius, one of the few living geniuses we have still today. And um, <laughs> sorry, I, I just saw a living picture. legend. I just saw the picture. They just photoshopped him on on top of Gene Wilder. <laughs> His face. No, there's a real shot of him. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Now, anyway, let's go back to music. Music. Uh, the music here was, yeah, uh, Lee. Uh, when you think of Hans Zimmer and you're like, oh, he's already done everything. How can it get better? It it got better, guys. Oh, it got yeah. better. Um, his use of uh, a lot of, again, not only there's Eastern influences in direction style, there was a lot of Eastern influences in the music. He used a lot of uh, Middle Eastern uh, uh, music theory, ragas, things like that, yeah. uh, vocalists. And uh, I've always been a huge fan of Eastern music uh, since I was oh, yeah. a little, little boy. 
And there was a, something that really connected me to that. And we've always seen little chunks of it in Western, um, you know, like Sergeant Peppers is, um, is sometimes one of the most famous ones, things like that, where we would see it um, way long ago. It's yes, it is. It's incredible. It's breathtaking. It's 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 overwhelming at times too. I remember uh, feeling like like especially IMAX, you know, audio. It was like, oh my god! Oh yeah, he he throws gonna bass in there. He's it's gonna break. It's gonna break the walls. (laughs) I actually was in a movie one time in my hometown, and they had advertised they got this new sound system. I can't. Oh, it was one of the Lord of the Rings movies. You could hear the speakers. you can hear him breaking, blowing out. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. They really? had it turned up so loud. Um, I actually went and told somebody that <laughs> <laughs> your speakers are blowing out right now. Um, no, but I could see that like it, with this one because I, I played the soundtrack in my car last night. Uh-huh. Uh, I was driving back home and it had some bumps. Um, but no, it's a. Uh, you, you were talking about had some bangers in it uh you know you're talking about han zimmer and especially middle eastern he's shown this a lot through his career um he's obviously done like prince he, of egypt he did gladiator he can do anything gladiator had a lot of middle eastern kind of influence and in, in especially some of the scenes um so he he definitely shows that and i i, I love he, he's he has such a he's he's a lot like john williams he has like mm-hmm. john williams you you definitely know his sound when you're listening to a soundtrack because there's a lot of themes and and similar sounding you know kind of tropes through that it's mm-hmm. the same with Hans Zimmer but he he goes kind of I, I think a wider spectrum um he does you've heard him do guitars a lot of more he'll kind even, of rock he'll even go on things. tour and play guitar yeah, with he, like a whole orchestra behind didn't he him. do Glastonbury one year he did Coachella or Coachella actually. yeah I mean actually yeah. I think he did he probably did Glass and Bear. He probably did all of them. He did all these big uh, music festivals. And, yeah, like yeah, he just inception. wanted to tour. He's like, I'm a, I'm a rock star too, kind of a thing. He is yeah, a he'll star. play, he'll play guitar during it. I think he did it yeah. for Inception. Um, I, I know that's the one that he, oh, I love. He likes score. to play live. Oh. Is that Inception? Soundtrack. I love, I love the Dark Knight score. I, uh, yeah, I think me and Buck are one of the few people that will buy just scores to listen to. Just, oh just, yeah, and just because we fall in love I with the film. Yeah. yeah, I will listen to it. Um. But like, what say what you want about the Man of Steel um, film? I think it's okay. I, I I would say one of the best soundtracks too that I've listened to really pumps you up. Like, I have not uh, the Man of Steel. Uh, bring yeah. me up to speed. What do you mean, Man of Steel? It's uh, the Superman, Zack Snyder, and Hans so, Zimmer did that. Hans Zimmer did it. I did. Okay, I didn't know that. I'm learning something today. I'm learning. We always we're always here to teach. Always he doesn't want to do any. Um, he doesn't want to do any more. I think superhero movies is what I remember him saying. Um, this is kind of a superhero movie in a way. I think this was all of their. Uh, before we go into the conclusions, I want to say that it was clear this that this was all of their. They all had a passion. Everyone involved oh, yeah. had read the book as a kid, and you could tell that this was their dream to adapt. And yeah. they all brought their A game. They all stepped up and uh, they brought it. It was it was it was excellent in every almost every capacity. People and knew I can the see and and the love. This is definitely yeah. a, a work of of love. 
Yes. And I can see why it got a little bit of a negative feedback just because that first act is a little slow. But as soon as that second and oh, third act come, you're, you're on a roller coaster. Yeah. You are, you know, you are in it to win it. Yep. And um, if there is no other subject matter to talk about, Buck, I think we touched on a little of everything. I think we got to bring this guy home. Do we? We talked about, yeah. let me look at my list. We talked about writing, adaptation, characters, Please visuals, bear with us as we, we special go effects, our, uh... editing, music. What am I missing? So, am I missing something? Because I have a perfect conclusionary mm-hmm. point. It's it's going to be easy. Okay. I, I I will say, I think we, we've spoken of it enough. I am hoping and... Um, I'm really hoping that this will do well enough that it will merit uh, part two. Um, historically, his films have not done that well in the box right. office, unfortunately. Big budget, all um, kind of art houses, art house pieces. Well, but, Blade Runner 2049, which I will it didn't, Yeah, it didn't do well enough. Was better than the original Blade Runner. And don't come after me with hatchets. We're going to get our send your hate mail to. To, to Buck. No, I'm kidding. You can send but it no, to us. I've too. actually heard that from several people who are <laughs> no, I actually, Blade Runner fans. I actually agree. I'm actually, it, I'm, a, I'm on, I'm on team Buck on this one. But it was also, it, you could have called it Blade Runner 2049 minutes as well. Cause it's very long. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's one that if I watch it, I have to break it up into two parts, but yeah, you got to take a nap. And stuff. Yeah. You got to take a break, but visually and everything and story-wise and emotionally, it's beautiful, and it yeah. killed me that it did not do that well in the box office because I, I'll i wrap up, and I'll let you finish with your wrap-up. Sure. Yeah, thing. go ahead. I, I want to see more movies like this. Th- these are movies that got me – movies like this got me excited about filmmaking. That it, it got me excited about art in, in general, everything. And I, I feel like we grew up in a very exciting time when you saw mm-hmm. a lot of science fiction movie films, primarily because of – Star Wars set off this boom. Yep. Um, that's that started that. But really, it's we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. And I feel the epic and scope of it. I really do hope that we get to see more of this because I'm I'm getting tired. And I and we love Marvel <laughs> movies and stuff like this, but I'm getting tired <laughs> getting of the moral fatigue. Yeah. I, no, I'm we, getting, we... <laughs> I need we, to see uh... more. I think you're preaching to the choir. Uh, we yes, we love the art house stuff. We've always we're always on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, when you hear our other shows, you'll see that we love the deep cuts, the art house stuff. But we also think there's definitely a place for the big blockbusters, the popcorn eating talkies. And um, my like I said, my conclusionary point is simple: it's that good. Go see it because we all need and definitely want a part two and we're not going to get it unless those executive producers make enough money and they see the value in making and producing a second one. So go see it. Go see it in theaters if you can. Keep supporting these kinds of movies, these art house pieces with these big budgets that can actually bring these visions to life. And that's... see this and then go watch the green Knight afterwards. Oh yeah. We have a, we have a whole show about the green Knight. That's definitely lower budget, but extremely high end art house. Loved piece. it. Yeah. So there you have it. You beautiful people. 
Dune. Top to bottom, go see it. Very simple. We appreciate you listening. But before we go, you know we got a little more. We got a little extra for you, a little icing on top, a little cherry for that Sunday with what we call the gym of the week. If you don't know what the gym of the week is, it's essentially something we like to talk about here on our show, something that we may have been following in the last month, week, days that we are just in love with and we want to bring it to you, but it doesn't quite fit into the scheme of the show. So here we go. My gym of the week is um, has nothing to do with film or Dune. It's an album. I haven't done a, a single album in a long what? time. Oh, I am in love. I'm actually probably going to do a quick cut. Probably just me by myself about this in a few weeks. It's Jesse Ware's What's Your Pleasure. And there's very few albums that I get so just, I just, I'm so in love with them that I can't listen to anything else. And this is one of them. So I've been listening to it for weeks and I'll probably listen to it for a few more weeks until I know it front and back, and I'll easily be able to spend 30 or 40 minutes on a shorter, quick cut type of episode that we also have in the bank. And I encourage you all to uh, seek it out and fucking ugh, fall in love yourselves. And then one uh, one little baby uh, gem is uh, just, a, just Metroid Dread on Switch. It's really good. Play it. Oh, I haven't played it yet. Oh, I was so actually going to ask you about that. It's the closest thing to my favorite game of all time, Super Metroid. It's the closest thing to bring that to, uh, bring that into a modern era. Of, Does it make uh, of you gameplay. have to learn a wall jump that I still can't do? Uh, no, the wall jumps are incredibly easy. It's not uh, yeah. pixel perfect like it was in Super Me- Super Metroid. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's I, it's, I it's it easy, and that's and that's ago, part of uh, the appeal is that it it really did uh, bring the game, the mechanics, the love for Metroidvania style gaming mechanics into the modern era. And it wraps up the series if I. Oh, I'm still in the middle of it. Uh, I don't know. Spoilers. I don't know. I don't know. I heard it. Uh, I heard it wrapped everything up, but it has it just has every from the main storyline. I I would say in terms of pure gameplay mechanics, it, it it is the it's the Metroid that we've all been waiting for for a long time. So, well, good to hear. I I'm I'm going to get it. I'm going to play it. Um, I've heard good things about it. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Buck, what's I your just gym? Quit stalling. <laughs> well, I like to stall because I like to build <laughs> the drama. I like to Ooh, build, build the it. drama. Ooh, it's that good. Actually, uh, Buck is very thoughtful gems as always so give it well, to us lay it here, on us. here's what i'm i'm proposing we've talked about this before in another episode okay however i want to bring it up i don't think i brought it up as a gem of the week but i want to bring it up again as we're still on the theme of dune okay i would really like you guys to go out and watch jordowarski's dune yes yep. um it's a documentary made about eight years ago um it is fantastic. It's basically talking about the first attempt to make Dune into to a film. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil too much out of it because it's talk fantastic. about scope. <laughs> talk There's about a lot of scope. Oh my god! <laughs> and not only that, it is you needed crazy. like a billion dollars to make it back yeah. then too. I'll just put it this way: Salvador Dali was supposed to be the emperor, and he wanted to be paid perfect casting a hundred thousand dollars a day. Yep. Just like we are, we're all paid. And Pink yeah. Floyd was going to do the soundtrack. So it does sound like an amazing movie, honestly, on paper, but it completely is impractical on film. Yeah, a completely impractical in effect. 
right? Uh, in action. There's no way yeah. they could have made it. And, and the artwork and stuff that they did, it, oh my God. I, I still, it, it, they, they say it's the greatest movie that was never made. Yeah. So check it out. You'll have a good time. Even if you're not a big sci-fi fan or it's a good documentary. You know, Dune fan, it, it's, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. Well, there you go. Another thoughtful gym by Mr. Buck. If you like that, you can, of course, check out more of our material and follow us at underscore Novo underscore day and days D-E and at Novo Day Media. You can check us out also on our website, NovoDayProductions.com. There you'll find some of our products, including the interview sessions, which you can buy in um, paperback or we have an audiobook version of it. A lot of fun. The interview. Who, who does uh, the audiobook? The voice? Uh, Philip Church. Um, our, our good friend Philip Church, narrator extraordinaire Philip Church. Uh, you can also find adulteration, post meridium, and uh, we got some things in in the oven. Uh, we actually are finishing up another novel, and we'll probably have that out to you guys next Ooh. year. So, do, do I'm I excited. get the? Do I get a sneak peek of that? Uh, probably, copy. yeah. All, all of all of our uh, production company, uh, NDP family, or collective, as I like to call them, will will get. Uh, the sneak peeks but until then don't forget to like subscribe and follow and go ahead and hit that notification bell and if you'd like to sponsor our little love child here you can reach out to us our hr division at novodaymedia at gmail.com that's n-o-v-o-d-e media at gmail.com We'll see you next time, guys. Be good to each other, and as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.